0: So, Jim, the Metalworking Nation knows that we love ProShop ERP, but did you know that ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning? So it's software that helps you to plan, and your whole enterprise is involved in it. So
1: tell me what that means to you. Actually, I, I did know what ERP system Sure you did, meant. Jim. That's, You know, I love acronyms. You right? know because I told you. I know. Well, you refreshed my memory, let me tell you that. But what I do know about ProShop ERP the cloud-based software that we're using at Car Machine and Tool is it is really a customer-centric platform. Everybody from the office to the guy out in the shop is engaged with the software every day. They come in, they clock in, they they track their time against work orders. Everyone knows when the part has to get out for maybe a five-day finish. They know what the delivery date is. We are keeping the customer at the apex of importance in the company. And everybody in the company is involved in that. Too. Everybody knows. That's the way that it needs everybody to be. Everybody the has whole access enterprise. to The entire enterprise, the entire facility. Everyone knows there's n- no more mistakes. That's the deadline. Everyone has access to the, the delivery date, and you have to be accountable for it.
0: So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you're connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr, and it's 2020, Jim. How you doing? How about it? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah.
1: How was your New Year's Eve? What'd you um, got, what it was did you good. My wife do? and
0: I made a last minute reservation and went out to dinner and it was a little bit more expensive than I thought that <laughs> I wanted to spend, but it was very nice. It was probably the best meal that I've had in all of 2019. So awesome. Maybe you and I will have to go to this restaurant sometime. It was a new Korean restaurant in Chicago called Parachute, Top Chef, that kind of stuff. It was Wh- it was pretty amazing. What neighborhood? It was in Logan Square.
1: Okay. That's kind of an up and it's being regentrified, Logan, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right now we're going to church in Logan Square now too, so it's not too far from our from our house.
1: Great. Yeah. Absolutely. So
0: yeah, it's a nice little neighborhood. And she also opened another restaurant down the street called Wherewithal. It's a it's a nice restaurant. Everything was very unique and very flavorful and I think you'd like it.
1: I'm down for it.
0: So, Jim, you just had a milestone birthday. I don't know if you want to talk about that on, on making chips. We, but, won't,
1: we won't say any numbers. We'll yeah, just we won't say, say any numbers.
0: It was a milestone. But d- does it get you thinking, like, what do you plan on doing, say, when you turn 70? 70 is like that age where I would say the majority of the people, at least here in the United States, this might not be true in the rest of the world, are thinking like they're going to be retired. And I've really been rethinking my thoughts on retirement and even the money that I'm saving for retirement because I, I save a lot of money in every paycheck as I encourage my team to do the same thing to save it for retirement. So they have that nest egg out there. We have a very generous 401k, but I've been rethinking those mostly because of my faith convictions. and But also I'm not the type of person to wanna just sit back and and do nothing. I'm not the type of person as somebody that I listen to all the time, John Piper, who talks about collecting seashells on the beach in Florida. Yeah, that's not no, that's, that's not, not who mean, I that's not who I am. I mean, I am. It
1: sounds it sounds exciting for about a week. You're right. And then after that, I don't know. You know, a lot of people that go into retirement go out of retirement within like the first six months. A lot of
0: a lot of them. I've I've seen people become alcoholics too.
1: Yes, I know. I they got I, nothing I could,
0: to do. So either way, whether your convictions are are that of like the. Normal, are you
1: saying that you're thinking about pushing? You didn't let me back, finish my sentence. No, I want to. I want to stop you right there. Are you thinking about pushing back your retirement, or because of you said because of your religious convictions? Well, why don't you embellish a little bit to me? What what does that okay. mean? Okay.
0: Well, I said my faith convictions, but what I mean is like. I don't want to be on my deathbed, and for the last twenty years, I've been collecting seashells and not doing anything and not having anything. Oh, to... so you're
1: thinking about pushing out retirement? But you know, there's a, retirement doesn't. I don't necessarily see myself mean... retiring.
0: I don't ever yeah, see myself well, retiring.
1: but y- because you'll probably give back to the community that you live in, or you'll you'll donate time in some capacity, because that's really what it's all about. But the We're...
0: American dream is literally to collect seashells somewhere. Yeah, I warm, know yeah and do nothing essentially and that's not what I'm going to to do no, and I I'm think, not gonna either man I think you know it doesn't matter what your convictions are either way you need to be thinking about what are you going to do with your business though because what you're gonna do with your life is is another thing but like what you're gonna do with your business because I would say when you turn 70 you're probably not going to be as effective as you were when you were 40 50 60. So you still need to start thinking about, what do I need to do with my business? Because I think that you owe that security to your team. And they need right. to know what is the future of the business yes. look like. Is You, you know, know what? what?
1: That's really important to your customers. And your customers. To, Great point. Because yes. I know when we fill out a lot of new vendor requirements, they want to know if you have a bona fide succession plan in case the main proprietor of the the business dies is there somebody that can step in and run the business because let's just let's just say we were doing work for Boeing, mm-hmm. and Boeing had a multi-multi-million-dollar yeah, contract. They need to know with,
0: that there's succession there, right? They need if to know you, that, like Ryan is prepared to. If you, know, you take hiccup, over. they're yeah. going to hiccup, right? Oh yeah, and they can't—they can't allow that.
1: They cannot allow that. Yeah, so yeah. no, that's so it's a great very point. important as uh, individuals to know what their future is. It's important for the employees of the company to know that there's some type of succession, a bona fide written true succession plan and for your customers as well. So yeah, it's, it's all very important. Right. So, and Never and it, too early to start doing that No,
0: it, it's something that you need to start thinking about. So in this episode of Making Chips, we're actually going to discuss M&A or mergers and acquisitions. And that comes from the side of whether you're going to be buying companies or whether you're going to be selling companies. And I actually had an interview with a gentleman who prior to Becoming a manufacturing leader worked in that industry for most of his career, and this was an interview that I did without you. Is that okay?
1: That's fine. Well, you told me you were going to do it. And yeah, I think I that's know. great. I yeah, know.
0: I got interrupted quite a bit less. I'm you know, sure you did. This well, you had you
1: had a third less people in that. Uh, well, yeah, and I, didn't, that, have, I didn't have you to
0: interrupt me. Yeah, as the metalworking nation knows that you're you're always ready to. Well, interrupt I always me.
1: have the quality quotes and yeah, the yeah, yeah. the wisdom to yeah. add to the conversation yeah yeah yeah
0: so yeah this was actually an interview that I did in Broken Arrow Oklahoma when my team was actually setting up a new tool crib with a with a new client but before we go there what's
1: going on great at car well like like we said it's 2020 we finished the year very strong already we did our annual meeting car machine and tool we you know we practice yep, EOS we did here. Our, we did
0: our annual meeting just a few weeks right. ago too
1: it was very it was probably the most successful quarterly meeting it was an annual meeting, but it was really a quarterly meeting. Yeah, you do it
0: every quarter, but right. it's, it's kind of a different format. It typically, we did ours two days. I know you did yours only one day. Yeah, well,
1: we're a small company, and we we got it done. I mean, but it was really, you know, it was. I think it was the most profound thing, Jason. Is we did it offsite. I think that's very important. Oh, it is.
0: Yeah, and we did
1: ours at MXD. Yes, I, I know you did. You yeah. told me that. And I actually took the the traction book and I just read it verbatim. And I I, I would well, I gave re- you some notes too. You which, did. I used that. that. I used yeah. that. But anyway, it was good. It was very good. Does it, it make you good. excited for twenty twenty for does, the next be- year? That's
0: that's one of the things that I love about it. Just you put that mark in the ground and you say this is when we're gonna plan the new year and we're gonna figure out what we're gonna accomplish, and that gets me super excited. That's one of the things that I love about the end of the year. I'm like a planning vision guy, as you know, you and I. I have know talked that. About, I know you. And so like I get super excited about this kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm a did. little.
1: I'm a little. I'm not afraid of, but resistant to my rocks for this quarter. I've got Are some- you
0: afraid you're not gonna accomplish them or
1: no? They intrigue me.
0: And okay. so
1: I took on some pretty big rocks. Okay. So, well, well maybe see. we should
0: talk about like rocks and goal settings in a future episode.
1: That sounds great. I actually was thinking about today to like help me with one of my rocks because I'm going to struggle with it for sure. But anyway, regardless, let's get on to the episode. Anything, yeah. what's y- going? on anything new at Zanger's. Well, Black? just that same thing is, yeah. you know, we
0: did it. We did a two day annual meeting. And to be quite honest, I probably could have done it for like three days. You know, yeah, I could have done good the stuff. meeting for three days and we had that much stuff to talk about. And I feel like there was some stuff that we kind of had to cut short and, and we got back and we had to get together to talk about scorecards and how we're going to measure and stuff like that. So I could have gone
1: a third day. Yeah. So do you have any manufacturing news? I do, as a matter of fact. And it's very strange that I this came up on my manufacturing news feed because somebody had pitched this idea to us to as an interview, a prospect for an interview yeah. for the future. Yeah.
0: So we get people emailing us all the time, you know, info at makingchips.com. Hey, you know, I've got a great person that you guys should interview on Making Chips. And we don't adopt them all. We usually like to bring on we fil- actual- put we, we put them through a filter. We put them through a filter. We like to bring on other present CEOs, aspiring leaders of manufacturing companies mostly. But yeah, we did get an inquiry to talk about this subject. So yeah, go ahead and tell me about this article.
1: Yeah. So it's 5G is poised to transform manufacturing. That's
0: interesting. Not just my cell phone?
1: Not just your cell phone. So as we all know right now, we live in a world of Wi-Fi and 4G LTE. And this article goes on to say that the biggest adopter of 5G technologies are going to be smart factories of the future, which is really, I I can't believe that we're not going to be utilizing a Wi-Fi network within our facilities. It's going to be utilizing the 5G technology, well, I didn't cellular read, technology. Yeah, I didn't read this
0: article. Is it because it's just, I would assume it's because it has come down in price so much, right?
1: Not yet. Not okay. yet, because they're still building. So why switch from Wi-Fi to 5G? Is all about speed and latency control. Really? So okay. all about speed and latency control. See, because it says today the lack of of reliable, low-latency, and high-bandwidth connectivity has hurt the adoption of cutting-edge technologies that need that kind of support. With 5G, that is about to change, bringing interconnectivity between machines, materials, and people, unlocking millions of dollars in value. That value will come from increased productivity, productivity, lower inventory, improved uptime, worker safety, and agile supply chains.
0: So we've talked about data collection a lot. Is that what this is related to? It's, it's just
1: part of it. Okay. So a lot of people, it goes on to say that Audi, for example, has already started testing 5G for robotic motion control. Interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And it also goes on to say China seems to be winning the race with huge investments and early adoption of 5G into its industries.
0: So, I, I don't know if this is what it's related to, Jim, but I had this thought this morning before you even pitched this idea to me. So, I just got a new car, and that mm, you, that's right. I forgot yeah, to see it. Yeah. And then that new car. Drives itself. And as I was driving on the highway to come here, you know, you're going around turns and the steering wheel is turning itself. Mm-hmm. It was a little scary. And I'm thinking to myself, like, my car doesn't operate without 5G and like, it, it just doesn't operate by itself. It needs all of this data and electronics and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of a different world that we're living in compared to five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, my car doesn't. Operate without data and electronics and everything like that. I mean, I don't even have. I don't have to put gas in my car anymore. So it's it's a whole new world.
1: It is a whole new world, and I think you know
0: manufacturers need to really be exploring that and adjusting. And you know, as you said here, you know, Germany, they're they're adopting it. China, they're adopting it. And I think us here in America, we really need to think.
1: Let's adopt this. Yeah, I do want to read one paragraph. It says five G costs and challenges. It says the biggest concern that companies will have about is it security because 5G-connected devices will dramatically expand the potential network attack surface. Interesting. According to the report, 40% of respondents said cybersecurity was one of their top three concerns, followed by the immaturity of the technology, 34%, and lack of business relevance at 32%. So they're saying... I think there's a lot of work to do in the infrastructure standards and the devices that we don't even have yet. Can you imagine when this finally does roll out? Think about every single person in this world. Well, not every person in the world, but a good majority of the human population has a device, right? When everyone starts to transition over to 5G-enabled cellular devices... That's gonna be huge for the phone companies. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. But I think that we're still a long way away from that. They were saying something about Well, Germany and China are adopting it now though. Yeah. It says 5G will generate 13.2 trillion in new business by 2035. So we still still 15 more years. Okay. The highest impact will be in manufacturing with almost 4.7 trillion in new economic activity, which includes the value of a 5G-ready equipment the manufacturers will sell to their companies. Very cool. So we don't really have a lot
0: here that, has some meat on the bone in order for somebody to like take action on tomorrow. But I mean I, I think that there's a lot here to think about.
1: Yeah, I definitely
0: and, and especially to me the the first thing that comes to mind is like we need here in America to stay competitive with our competition in Europe and Asia.
1: Yeah. And now I really have a very good understanding of why five G and what how it's gonna really impact our economy and our businesses
0: yeah interesting so
1: do you even know if like verizon or sprint or any of the the cellular carriers even offer it right now do you even know Off that 5g yeah
0: don't i have 5g on my phone
1: no i don't think so yeah, i
0: do it says 5g right there it says 5ge
1: where does it say that let me see right there i guess you have 5g yeah
0: yeah i have 5g on my uh on and what my phone. what
1: cellular service do you AT&T. have? what kind of download speeds do you have fast i don't know well, what
0: what's fast? <laughs> I don't
1: know. You should check it. i have
0: never looked at that, so yeah. I have no idea. I've never but had it, issues. I
1: will as soon as we end this recording, I'm gonna check it because I'd like I'd be very interested.
0: I think the biggest thing is like, you know, adopting this into into cell phones obviously comes first because the consumer market is really what these manufacturers want who they want to go after. But going after the commercial market like manufacturing, there's a lot of potential there and that's just gonna take a little bit while it longer. definitely
1: makes a lot of sense to me, yeah. man.
0: So why don't we move on from this the interview that I had, I thought I think it's great, Jim. I think you're really gonna enjoy it and learn something from it. And I think more importantly, the the Metalworking Nation is really gonna get something out of out of this interview. So this was with Mike Payne, president of Hill Manufacturing and Fabrication in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. One of the really unique things about Mike's business is that they do CNC and they do robotic welding and traditional welding. And according to Mike, he's the only, if not, he's not aware of other people in that Tulsa market who do CNC machining and welding. He really thinks that that brings that's a great That's his advantage. differentiator. That, that's one of his differentiators is that his clients don't have to bring CNC work that somebody else has welded or welding work that somebody else has to CNC later. He can do both of them. And that's what he thinks really differentiates him. And then Mike, as a manufacturing leader, as we said before, he spent decades in the M&A industry before becoming a manufacturing leader. So I think he brings a great perspective. Very uh, interesting. And it's a great interview. So I hope you enjoy it, (laughs) Jim. So, Mike, thanks for joining Making Chips. We appreciate having you on the show. We're here in Oklahoma at Hill Manufacturing and Fabrication, and welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on it. Yeah. So, Mike, you've really been working us today. I got my team out here (laughs) in Oklahoma, and we've been out on the shop floor these last couple days, and we're trying to make some improvements here at Hill. Well, we we can see a lot of improvements on the tooling already. Good, good, good. So, Mike, we have you on the show. I think you bring a different perspective to the manufacturing leaders out there. Your your background hasn't been growing up in the shop like a lot of the other manufacturing leaders have. I know Jim's background story is that his dad owned the shop and he took over the business from him, which I think is the story from a lot of people. But your background is in M&A, private equity, that type of background. Why don't you, first of all, explain to the Metalworking Nation, what is private equity in M&A? That word gets thrown around a lot, but what is it from your perspective?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of definitions of private equity, venture capital, merger acquisition. I mean, a lot of different technical definitions, but as my as it relates to my background, a lot of it's just been in transactional work, so helping people buy, sell, raise money for growth or, you know, other acquisitions, maybe acquire additional land, anything like that. I've also worked with a lot of what would be more commonly called angel investors, which are generally going to be high net worth individuals that have cash, capital that that they want to put to work. So they have
0: family money, or maybe they've sold a big business, and now they're like, I want to reinvest that money into other smaller businesses. and Correct.
2: In that space, you're usually under a couple million dollar type transactions. So maybe they're buying a company, they're buying part of a company, for any variety of reasons. Diversify their portfolio, anything
0: like that. Okay. And... How did that experience take you to now being a manufacturing leader and owning Hill Manufacturing and Fabrication?
2: So, when I came out of college, my brother and I were in the software business, did a lot of work in manufacturing at the time. Okay. And really just kind of developed a passion for it in general. When we exited that company over the next 15, 17 years, as I was doing transaction work, merger, acquisition, investing, you know, angel investing, small private equity. There was always manufacturing in the mix, always probably enjoyed it more than most other industries that yeah. we would deal with.
0: Was it like just the creating something, the physicality of manufacturing?
2: Yeah, the just the making things. Right. Right. And the solving problems. It's just just always piqued my interest. Right. How cool different processes can be. And I was actually working with Hill, kind of casually, knew the owner, longtime family friend. We had connected kind of on the premise of reaching a time that that the owner was ready to sell. So working with her to position the company for sale, look at buy offers, and just through that, I mean, the passion for Hill specifically for me just grew so you came Over like I'm
0: emotionally connected to the business because of the years of working with with her and also being a family friend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and there was a lot of has and you know continues to have a, a, a good reputation in in our market
0: mm-hmm. in the Tulsa market
2: in the yeah in the Tulsa northeast Oklahoma market for sure a little beyond but but specifically in that area it was well established good profitable company but also you know just recognized a lot of opportunity for improvement okay and which bringing in. New owners, new energy, hopefully we'll capitalize on those opportunities.
0: Okay, okay. Well, let's get into that a little bit later, but tell us briefly, who is Hill? What type of work do you guys do? Yeah, so
2: Hill Manufacturing and Fabrication, we we have 25-plus CNC machines, about 10,000 square foot welding and fabrication shop. Mills and lays. Mills and lays. Robotic welding. Robotic welding. Job shop. And now you have a robotic tool crib attendant. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. Great new tool crib in, in development, thanks to you. But yeah, so we're a job shop, largely energy businesses, are okay. our customers, oil some gas. industrial, outside of oil and gas, but but a lot of the products we make do end up in the oil and gas field.
0: Okay. And what you mentioned before that one of the things that makes you unique is that you actually do CNC plus fabrication, whereas a lot of... I guess competitors or just other businesses like yourselves—they either do one or the other.
2: Yeah, certainly on our fabrication side, one of the areas that we're differentiated in our market is that we are often machining components that are then fabricated—you know, go through the fabrication process or well and then they're welded machined or the, the again machine, yeah. after welding to hold some tight tolerances.
0: Okay, interesting. So, family friend you were working on actually selling hill and then you were able to buy the business yourself. What was one of the first things that you when you came when you stepped through the front door as owner, what was some of the first things that you needed to change and why did you need to make those changes?
2: You know, I had a good 5-6 year look at the the business side of hill prior to, but going out on the shop floor on a daily basis. Certainly, there's a lot of things you didn't know from looking at books.
0: Yeah, cuz you weren't you didn't have that machining background or welding background or anything like that. Not
2: at all. Okay. Not at all. So we hit the floor and what I saw is is a good legacy business with customers that we've been making parts for for 30 years or sometimes more. Long-tenured employees, really good machinists, good equipment, but in a lot of cases we've been making that part for 20 years. The same way we started making it 20 years ago and often at the same price. So it became kind of a, a slow process of, of just identifying several areas for improvement. And if I had to group them all together kind of under one category, it was just all technology.
0: Okay. So right? w- would you say that you got like the business had become complacent to a certain degree? It was coasting. It was coasting. Right. I mean, it was, it was comfortable. Which a lot of businesses out there are coasting. Sure. It was a very comfortable company. It's easy to get comfortable. Absolutely, I think that even like in my business, running Zengers and even like making chips to a certain degree, you start coasting. You know what I mean? You get busy and you you start coasting, and that's okay to coast for and for seasons.
2: Absolutely, and it, you know, in my experience across probably forty or fifty different transactions and businesses over the last fifteen to seventeen years, it's very normal. Mm-hmm. It's not, not only is it easy; it's just normal, right? Mm-hmm. And and even even where we're at today in an area of some pretty rapid change over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. we still coast, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, things are still easy to just do the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. People don't like change. Change costs money. Change takes time. Change is hard work. It's dirty. So
0: it's it's easy to ride that. And you need somebody, I would say primarily, you need somebody with that hunger and in that leadership position to be that, for lack of a better word, that change agent, that person that's going to drive that change. Absolutely. And the energy and the passion to do it. Do you think that's the most important thing in driving change is just that energy and that passion and getting everybody excited and rallied around like what that change is going to look like?
2: I think so. As I mentioned, when we purchased Hill, we got 30 plus employees that are good at what they do and working with them and understanding what they they struggle and asking them those ideas and then taking that and, and then starting to try to build the vision for them of where we're going. Right, Makes that change a little, little more accepted. Gets them behind it. Makes them the agents of change. Doesn't make it easy.
0: It just makes it doable. Do you think you need, when you're taking over a business like this, and so you've seen, you've bought and sold businesses, and a lot of times it's probably been turnaround situations, I would assume too, right? A lot of turnaround. But this, um, wasn't, this wasn't a turnaround per se. And a lot of times during turnaround, like one of the first things that you do is you inject new... Management and leadership into the business, right?
2: Yeah, lots of times there's nobody left. Right. Right. So, I mean, there's times that you go in and you make that change, and there's other times that change already happened, and now you got to fix it.
0: Right. But you didn't do that here because this wasn't a, a turnaround per se. This was a, you just saw a lot of opportunity for improvements.
2: Yeah, our turnover was, I was actually very concerned about our turnover, given the fact that it's a small family run machine shop with employees that have been with the owner for a long, long time, and they may not. They may not like you. New, right. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I'm just this guy that they've maybe seen around a little bit, but they don't know me. Yeah. And I think they were concerned too. Mm-hmm. But our our turnover was zero due to the transition. And, and why do you think that is? Probably just acceptance and tolerance of things on both ends. We didn't come in with any preconceived notions of of changes we had to make. And and I think then you know our employees were very open to the fact that. Here's this new owner that's walking around the shop floor every day. And they opened up to us coming in, you know, to me coming in and working with them.
0: Yeah. So you walked around the shop, you're probably asking a lot of questions, right? Like, why are you doing it that way? And what about if you do that? Because, I mean, you're kind of coming from a very green standpoint. Like, you don't know how to program or you don't stand behind a machine tool. So it's kind of like you're learning and at the same time maybe point out some flaws that were there in, like, the processes and the way that, that you did things. Was that intentional? A eh, and like what was probably one of the biggest changes that that was a result of asking those questions. So I did exactly that. I over the first
2: month to two months. I mean, honestly, I spent probably you know six hours a day on the floor,
0: just walking around.
2: No. So what I actually did is I made them put me to work. Okay. I actually started out in the manual shop, and okay. and I learned to run an engine lathe, and then they then they put me on a. Bridgeport with Easy Track and and how to program a bolt hole circle and and what I did is I would just I'd identify some projects of things that they told me that I needed in the shop so and you're like what do I
0: need to learn in yeah, order yeah to...
2: and so we'd build them and and I'd build them with their help right with a lot of their help yeah and you know all the way to welding some tables and fixtures and you know just different things that we needed around the shop for organization and cleaning things up what it did is it Probably the, the first thing that I knew was important, but I didn't understand how important, was tolerances, right? I mean, as as, they, as I saw how important that plus or minus a half a an inch was because we were wanting this to line up with that and, and how easy it is to miss that. And then as I went from the manuals to work we would do on the CNC that really they would do on the CNC, but they would They'd right there what with them. doing Yeah, yeah. I'm watching us set up what I thought would be a very simple job that we spent two and a half hours setting up and running for this one little part, and it was a little eye opening. Just that setup time and making
0: sure that you you're hitting the right tolerances.
2: Yeah, because it it was a simple little things we were doing, but through that you start seeing like some waste of time and so forth in the setup process. You're going that doesn't make sense. Like we that's an area we need to improve. Mm-hmm. Right, so. I learned a lot through that process over that six to eight week period that then I was able to come back and say, okay guys, this is what I see you struggling with, right? So how do we fix that? And talking with the management team and then kind of talking with the shop as a whole of how do we solve these problems, you know, these, these setups, like they shouldn't take that long. We walked from the front of the shop to the back of the shop eight times looking for tooling, Mm. right? Which is why you're here today, right. right? I mean, it's, We want to improve that. Same way with workholding. We started identifying that that we don't have the right workholding. And during that same period of time, and just to throw a shout out to you, I'm in the gym listening to the first 105 episodes of Making Chips. Don't even remember how I heard about Making Chips, but I came across it, started listening, and I literally listened to the first 105 episodes in... Probably six to eight weeks. How bad were we those first couple episodes? You know, you guys progressed. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to take that as we were really bad. Yeah, no, it was for me. It was all great information. Yeah, right. I mean, it was even stuff that from the early episodes that maybe by the time I was listening to them was almost obsolete. Mm-hmm. It was still great information. Yeah, and, and I've I've listened to every episode since. Thank you. And, appreciate um, that. It's been very valuable for me to learn what's going on in the industry because again we were doing the same thing for the last 20 years, right? Right. So we weren't always on top of the latest workholding, the latest tooling, the latest ERP systems, the latest machine monitoring, any of those types of things.
0: Right. I remember when we first met, you actually credited making chips with for Jim and I with helping you lose weight, right?
2: Yeah, I did, yeah, because that whole time when I was in the gym in the evenings, I'd be working out, I'd make sure I listened to at least one episode, and sometimes <laughs> I'd try to get in too.
0: That's great. That's great. So What do you think are the biggest changes that a company like yours needs to make from like a, just say like a technical standpoint. So tooling, workholding, the machine tools, robotics, what have you done or what are you going to do that's going to make the the biggest impact?
2: So I'll break that into two categories. So we probably the the biggest impact that we've experienced to date was implementing a new ERP system. Okay.
0: From ProShop. From ProShop
2: that I found because of you. I had just almost given up hope on finding the ERP system I wanted, and I heard your episode with because that's Paul. your
0: background is actually in software, so you understood that space. Yeah,
2: so I, I understood it well, and but it also was 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and so a lot's changed, right? And finding the right system for our shop was just proving difficult mm-hmm. and, until I dug into and Pro shop and just found it to be the right answer for us. As you can imagine, going from a very paper based work order system to now being fully integrated on our floor with computers. And it was it was scary. Mm-hmm. This was bringing a lot of change into a shop and it went really
0: well. Didn't I mean, everybody embrace it?
2: They did. It's funny. And one of the things I've come now to realize was really beneficial about the choice we made was in my background, a lot of your business management systems are built in the front office
0: mm-hmm. to make,
2: Accounting jobs easy, of course. It's usually
0: built around accounting, yeah.
2: And pro shop, in in the case of the choice we made, you know, it was really built more around the shop floor. So, as we implemented the shop floor, it it just was seamless, right? They picked it up on day one and just ran with it, right? And Um, that's where you're
0: going to get the most complaints typically, anyway.
2: Sure, and that's what I expected again because of my background. I got yelled at by shop foremans in Quincy, Illinois, Mm -hmm. you know, for bringing in this software that they didn't want to use in our case shop floor implementation was great we struggled probably more in the front office but it was still very seamless right it was just more of a change of our processes in the front than it was in the shop so then the second area is the the technology on the shop floor from a machine tool standpoint we're very well situated for the types of parts we make but no automation anything like that on the cnc side we do have a robotic welder in our weld shop which has proven to be very very successful but on the machine side where we really needed to increase throughput that investment in the the tooling the work holding any sort of automation of machine tools was not there so even to date so we purchased two new machines last year we didn't go fully automated with them but we we did go ahead and we have robotic interfaces automatic doors hydraulic chucks so that as we continue to grow that integration will be much easier our tooling, you guys helped us tremendously on just looking at projects that we've been running for a long, long time or projects that was the first time we were running and, and just helping identify the right tools today to do that job. Mm-hmm. So we were doing jobs that, again, we've you know run for a long, long time, same methods, same tools, same everything. And by just modernizing the way we're running, even maybe sometimes the way the, the part's programmed – Certainly, the cutting tool technology we've seen up to two thirds reduction in cycle times. So again, just throughput, throughput, throughput. Mm-hmm. Work holding is is another area that we we feel there's a lot of room for improvement.
0: Right. So instead of holding one part, you want to you you need to hold ten parts.
2: Yeah, I want to use that whole envelope. Let's use that whole mill table. Right.
0: <laughs> so Jim, the Metalworking Nation knows that we love. ProShop ERP, but did you know that ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning? So it's software that helps you to plan, and your whole enterprise
1: is involved in it. So tell me what that means to you. Actually, I, I did know what ERP system sure you did, meant. That's, you know I love acronyms. You right? know because I told you. I know. Well, you refreshed my memory, let me tell you that. But what I do know about ProShop ERP the cloud-based software that we're using at Car Machine and Tool is it is really a customer-centric platform. Everybody from the office to the guy out in the shop is engaged with the software every day. They come in, they clock in, they they track their time against work orders. Everyone knows when the part has to get out for maybe a 5-day finish. They know what the delivery date is. We are keeping the customer at the apex of importance in the company. And
0: everybody in the company is involved in that.
1: Too. Everybody knows. That's the way that it needs everybody to be. Everybody the has whole access enterprise. to it. The entire enterprise, the entire facility. Everyone knows there's n- no more mistakes. That's the deadline. Everyone has access to the, the delivery date, and you have to be accountable for it.
0: So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to your m background, because... I believe that this industry is changing it's going to be changing rapidly over the next like 5 to 10 years. There's a lot of that boomer generation that they're ready to retire. You know, it's not going to happen all at once, but there's a lot of them that started that shop and or took over a shop from their parents and they're ready to hand that business over to somebody else or they're at least maybe they're not ready to hand it over to somebody else but they're ready to get out the door. And I know like Jim I'm not going to say how old he is, but he has a big birthday coming up. <laughs> but he has his son there in the business in order to help with that succession planning and taking it over. So what advice would you give to manufacturing leaders out there who want to sell their business or to manufacturing leaders out there who want to buy a manufacturing business? And by the way, just for the, for the Metalworking Nation please don't follow this from like a legal or accounting standpoint. Get your own lawyer, get your own accountant, ask for their advice. You can maybe say you heard this on making chips, but Mike and I are having a conversation and we're not giving out legal or accounting advice.
2: Yeah, and that's probably the first good point, right? We all in any business we've ever been in, we have our, our trusted advisors. Right. That may be your attorney, that may be your accountant, that may be your best friend, but you need to have those people around you through this process you know, in my background, and I and I think probably in the situation that you describe, a lot of the people that might be contemplating this is you're going to be very closely held by a single owner, right. A family, maybe a couple of individuals, but for the most part, you're very closely held. You're not mm-hmm. talking about large shareholders, you know. You, no, you're not going to have like a board
0: of directors that are right you know, controlling. Yeah, you all might all have things. some advisors. You might have a board of directors, but it's kind of like just for yeah for looks and.
2: What I would tell. And what I've always, the first discussions I've always had with people that are, are facing this decision is, what do you want? Yeah, right? what, what
0: do you want to get out of the business? Yeah. and, it, and You're talking about on the sell side.
2: Yeah, on the sell side. What is it you're after? So money's part of that, right? So there's a dollar amount that you're looking for. I, I would also say don't always get hung up on what you sold the business for pay more attention to what you net, mm-hmm. right? Like after taxes. Are you talking about like
0: from a tax standpoint?
2: Yeah. Because deal structures matter. Mm-hmm. Whether you're buying assets, whether you're buying stock, whether you're, all those things are going to affect your tax situation. And, and no one can tell you that except your tax professional.
0: Right. So th- those kind of things could change the actual amount of money you get by large percentages. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've seen deals, you know, people have gotten hung up on, oh, I want
2: to sell my company for $7 million, just pick a number. Mm-hmm. But, a, you know, a bad structure, you know, they net four.
0: Right. Whereas they maybe they could have gotten six over a period
2: of time. They could, Yeah, they could have sold it for five and a half and netted five. Right. I, that whatever, might be a little aggressive is. on the tax yeah. side.
0: But you, what you really want is that net. Right. Right? I mean, that's... And do you need the money right away? Or do you need it over five years, 10 years, 20 years? Or do you want to just leave it to your... Kids. Absolutely. So there's all those things have to be discussed. And
2: if you're a single owner, you're talking to yourself a lot. Right. Right. If you have family involved, if you have partners, anything like that, you might have a difference of opinion on what you want. Right. So you have to maybe one partner does want money up front and the other one says, well, I'd love to live off this for
0: 10 years. So again, that can go into your structure. Yeah. I know from my perspective, Zengers has bought several smaller businesses over over a period of time. But my wife and I, when we bought Black, that was kind of a bigger deal. And I know the owner of that company, he had tried to sell the business to maybe like a, a larger private equity company. But his interest level, he was kind of checked out of the business. He never had a passion for it, admittedly. And he had already kind of retired. And he didn't want to put the time and the effort into fixing up the business before he sold it. When I came into the business, he was mentally already checked out. I had a vision for what it could look like. He had an old building in Chicago that was just deplorable, and I didn't want to be a part of it, but I had a vision for how do you make it better. And he just wanted to get out. So I was able to structure a good deal where I was basically buying assets, and I was buying inventory and stuff like that as I needed it. Sometimes you can't get that kind of a deal, but you have to understand what the other person wants to get out of it.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm going with that. The the best deals especially in this size of deal, or the deals where the the needs of the buyer and the seller are met. Yeah, and
0: that was the case for me. Like, I was able to, because I have the experience in industry, I was local, I was able to get him out quickly, and that's what he wanted. He didn't get a big price, but I wasn't willing to pay a bigger price. Sure, but again, you were both happy, right? right? So it was a successful deal. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what was it in your case? What, What were the objectives in buying Hill from the perspective of the former owner of the company?
2: So there's always other issues that every seller has but they're different for every seller. Some sellers are very concerned about what's going to happen to their employees. I ha- I, the I've i
0: experienced that. Yeah. Where they wanted to really, I want to make sure that this person has an employment agreement. My dad did that for my sister in the business. My sister has an employment agreement for, I mean, I would take care of Some my sister anyway, you know what I mean? But it made him feel better that she has this guarantee. Right. And, and even
2: if it's not in employment agreements, you should, as a seller, understand what the buyers' goals are with employees, right. right? Like we talked about earlier, sometimes you go in and you in a turnaround situation, you see people wipe out the entire management team and bring in yeah, their right, own day people. One. That might bug a seller. Those are people that have worked for them for a long time. They don't want that to happen. Yeah, they selling him to, get the to the wrong
0: of selling it for that price, and they right. feel an obligation. So maybe
2: you're selling to the wrong buyer, right? Right. I mean, because you want someone that's going to at least give your team a chance, mm-hmm. right? There are legacy concerns people have. There are there are people that are very concerned about what the future name of the company is gonna be, right? I mean, there's every seller is gonna be different. So if you're that seller, you have to identify what are those things that I have to have, what are those things I'd like to have, and what are those things that I, I really don't care about. Mm-hmm. Right. Just be honest with yourself about what those are.
0: Yeah, don't and, I mean I would say the worst thing that you can do in any kind of m a whether you're on the buy side or the sell side is trying to force a deal force a deal that's not going to work it's kind of like even more so when you have somebody that you want to hire because they have a skill set that you want but you know deep in your heart that they they just don't fit the culture of the company for some reason or another sure. and you want to force a square peg to fit in a round hole it's the absolutely. same thing with m a
2: it's absolutely very similar sellers want to feel good about the deal when they're done right they want to feel good about the financial side of it they want to feel good about just the entire transaction right right and the rushing it does create problems i'm knock on wood very fortunate to say that the large majority you know out out of 40 50 deals that i've been involved in there's only been a couple that didn't go the way everybody expected i would say they were rushed i would say they were forced right i mean not necessarily forced but they just all the due diligence probably wasn't done. Right.
0: Right. The, um, the right questions weren't asked, such as sure. what exactly do you want out of this business for right. yourself, for your employees, for taxes, for a period of time, all that kind of stuff.
2: Right. And as a buyer, these things are important too. You know, so sometimes you might think as a buyer, well, those soft, fuzzy things that the seller wants aren't really my concern, but they are. Right. So, you have to understand that your employees are still going to maintain a relationship with that seller even if that seller hands you the keys and never comes back right they've got phones they've yep. got emails they've got text messages
0: you have don't. to assume that the staff is going to talk to the old owner just absolutely
2: assume it. if they're upset your staff will be upset because they have the relationship with the old yep. owner not you yet yep right so it's it is important to you it's also important to you especially when you're buying a company through normal means of, of it's a succession. It's it's a new investment for you. It's much like we did with Hill. We weren't looking to disrupt a successful business. Right. Right. Yeah. I that mean, would have been
0: bad. Right. Know? Yeah. Just make the successful business better.
2: Yeah. We, we come in and run a successful business and hopefully improve. That's your goal at that point. So those things are very important. But you also, as a buyer, have to be very realistic. Probably the, the thing buyers fight more often is they fall in love with the deal. Right? right. And yes, yes. And as, like, I want to own that company. And mm-hmm. as, as maybe it's not panning out on price mm-hmm. or on other negotiations or bank financing or, you know, all yeah. the variables that go into it, you start, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll go ahead and pay that a little bit more. Right. Or we'll go ahead and take that inventory that we really don't want. And what you get in the end is not what you're originally buying. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe now you have too much debt. And and that pro forma that you you built your business model on is wrong because your debt's twice what it was, so your debt maintenance is maybe now really straining the company. Mm-hmm. Or you thought, as you pointed out, you know, you're you're going to bring in these people with you, and but as you get into the company, maybe you don't need that person, and now I mean, just the deal changes. So. As a buyer, you have to be realistic as well about what do you want at the end of the deal. Not just the price, not just the the company, the product, and you know, this could be machining or I mean, it doesn't really matter what type of business you're talking about. You just you have to both parties need to know what they want when the deal's done.
0: Yep, absolutely. One of the things that I think was significant from like an emotional standpoint, not only asking those questions as far as like, you know, what do you want to get out of this? But I went through and since my wife and I are business partners, we also, when we when we bought this business, the general manager from Zengers came in as the general manager of Black. And that was one of my wife's requirements. She was like, you, sure. need, you need to have Craig there in order to be our right-hand man. She was like, if, if, if we're going to do this, we need to have Craig there too. So we elevated Craig to position to be able to help us with this. But I remember when we were making this acquisition and, and telling Craig, okay, so here's two things. What are What is the best outcome that we could have from this acquisition? And, and, and from Amanda and I's perspective, the best outcome was that we would be able to pay off the debt and run a successful business and you know, we'd have a great team and customers that are very happy from us. Very general things, nothing very profound there. But then I also sat down with Craig and I said, let's talk about the worst thing that could happen in this situation. And, you know, I looked him in very the eyes important. and I said, I've got a bunch of kids, I've got a house, I've got my wife, and the worst thing that could happen in this situation is that it's a complete disaster and I'm out on the street and I have to move back in with either you or my parents. <laughs> right, so, and, right. and, and I said, before we do this, I want, both of us to understand that that is the worst case scenario and that is something that we do need to consider going into this deal that i'm not doing this for the money per se and that if this thing goes the wrong way that could happen because i was my wife and i were putting our house all of our i mean everything is tied to this deal you know what i mean yeah, and that you're, and that is you're the risking case. it all i'm risking it all yeah we're going all in and everything is on the line because the bank's not going to finance us without us having all of our house equity and everything they're going to take everything sure. that they legally can take and and i don't blame them for that you know what i mean like the bank that we've dealt with Signature Bank over the years. They've been very good to us. But they're going to tie everything up. That's what every bank does. And that was the risk we were taking. And we structured the deal such that if things ever got really bad, we could basically close the doors and Amanda and I would be fine. You know what right, I mean? Because right. I didn't want to take that risk that was over and above what we were comfortable with.
2: Well, and I think you bring up, you know, so outside of, we've talked about merger acquisition type transactions, mm-hmm. but another area of my background and, and where I've spent a lot of time is just in what you would call maybe growth capital, right? So so you have a company that has an opportunity for growth or believes they do and they need capital to do it. So maybe they go to a bank, maybe they're looking for investors, whatever. In a lot of cases, I would, I would then be working with those customers and, and you might have a lot of your audience that's in that situation. Maybe there's machines to purchase. Maybe there's automation they want to do, anything like that. Yeah, they might've
0: gotten in with a big OEM that thinks they do great work and they need to invest in a lot more capital.
2: Right. So again, if you look at the, you know, my background of, of small, closely held companies, typically the first question I would ask when they say, what do you need capital for? Right. I'm going to grow. I would always get this really odd look when I'd say, why? What do you mean, why? I mean, that's what I'm in business for, right? I'm going to grow. I'm going to make more money. Why? Are you not happy with your lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Right. Like you you need to save more money for retirement. You have a kid going through college. Mm-hmm. You go what is it you need growth for? You want opportunity for your employees, you want because there are times and we've all done it where we grow for the sake of growing, right? I've been there. And yeah. and we invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to grow mm-hmm. and make the same amount of money that we were making before we grew. Yeah. But we worked really hard. And we invested a lot of money, and we got some new cool toys, or or whatever. We opened a new store. We bought a new machine, whatever it is. If you really spent the time to look at what's the outcome of that growth, is it worth it?
0: Yeah, right. I don't know if you're from this generation, but you know, you remember the rapper Biggie, Biggie Smalls. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Right. You know, I mean, that's sometimes <laughs> absolutely. That's sometimes all that you get with growth. I is can't you say get... that I've ever cross-referenced it back to yeah. rap, but it's oh, a yeah. great reference. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, a lot of times that's what you get when you grow is like you have a bigger top line, but all you've got is more debt and sometimes more net income, but not always. Yeah. You've got more employees,
2: you've got more, and maybe you do have more revenue, but yeah, I mean, that bottom line is really what you're trying to grow. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not proportional to where you you thought it might be with right. all that extra work you were going to put in. Absolutely.
0: So Mike, it's been a pleasure having you on Making Chips. If you were to give one piece of advice to let's just say, both an aspiring manufacturing leader who maybe wants to buy a business or to a manufacturing leader out there that wants to sell their business? What would be that one piece of advice that you think is going to most impact them in a positive way through that experience? Listen to making chips. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and I say that jokingly, of course, for your benefit. Thank but, you. Um, yeah, we appreciate you, that. You and Jim. But, we love the encouragement. Right. But I don't too, right? So what I mean is is get knowledgeable. Okay. Right? If you're aspiring to buy, know what you're buying. Know where you're wanting to go with it. And if you're aspiring to sell, again, if you're you're small, closely held, family run, anything like that especially, just have the conversations and and really know what you want out of this soon-to-be-life event. That is probably the biggest piece is just... In the size of companies we're talking about, this is very personal. It is often someone's baby, right, that they're selling. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it referred to, you have your baby and you love it and you've grown it. And you, what you want to do is you want to send it off to do great things in life and and marry someone new mm-hmm. that, that now they're going to spend the rest of their life with happily, right? right? The emotions are, are very similar for, right. for a lot of us. Oh, yeah. And... What you don't want to do is is send it off to get married to someone you don't like and that you lose a relationship with right i mean so it's that personal connection kind of tying it to that kid growing up and yeah it really can't be that emotional when you've poured 25 years of your life into building a, a company and the relationships that go along with it you should care about them yeah and And you should care about what happens, and you should be just very honest about what you want that next stage to be. And if the buyer is honest and the the seller is honest, I mean, you're going to end
0: up with good deals. That's great. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I think it's been very informative as well. And what do we always say on the show? If you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. (laughs) So, Jim, would you think about this interview with my friend Mike Payne I mean what did you learn what was the
1: most important point that you that you drew out of this well I wished I would have been in that physical interview because I'm glad you weren't there actually you know well no I'm just kidding no I always enjoy no, having no, you I, the interviews because I think what you and Mike discussed is really timely and relevant for me oh totally and car machine and tool right now is we're you're transitioning positioned yeah. we're transitioning yeah to the and next we're generation. positioned for growth and And we've been doing a lot of talking and planning about growth for the future. But when I heard Mike say, why? Well, you're referring specifically
0: to growth capital, right? But why why, why do you you want to
1: grow? What aren't you satisfied with? And what do you want the outcome of this growth planning to be? What do you want? Is it going to really affect the bottom line? Because let me tell you, I've talked to a lot of peers in our industry, and we've had these conversations before, and they said that as you start to grow, your revenue is actually going to pull back a little bit. Your net income? That, yes. Your net income is actually going to decline a little bit the first couple years that you start to grow because there's always that onboarding. There's always new things. There's, there's growth pains. Unex- pains. Growth pains. Unexpected things Sometimes come. Sometimes
0: you up. get bloated with the number of people that work for you. And like when you're smaller, things are more simple.
1: No kidding. I know. I'm, I'm going through that I now. I used to
0: make that analogy when our business, when my dad ran the business and it was just the tool store. Obviously, it's grown well beyond that. And we, we don't even really do that much anymore. He used to look to his left and his right and he'd see every single employee. And it's not like that now. I've got, right. Most of my people are out in the field.
1: Which that's the trend in employment nowadays, right. and and that's the brick and mortar stores are a thing of the past for right. the most part.
0: Right. So I mean that's one of the things that you need to think about as you grow. Why do I want to do this? Why and, do I want to do that? I always feel like the, the reason you want to do it is probably for the sake of your son.
1: That definitely it's you know leaving a legacy and that's probably uh, part of it. Yeah. Be nice to build a little bit more of a nest egg because I don't know what retirement looks like for me in the future. Yeah,
0: I, mean, I don't actually care about leaving a business legacy. That's not a concern. it mine. is to me
1: well at your stage in your life it may not be but right. as you get I, yeah. older everything changes and the reasons you do things change too yeah so that made me th- think that part of your interview where mike said why and what do you want out of it you know what do you really want interesting you know i've met mike before and mike i'd like to meet with you again and maybe we could talk Ask a little bit questions. about yeah about some of these these hard questions that i'm facing right now as i evolve my manufacturing business and we plan for growth and succession and and all that good stuff so
0: speaking of this subject you know one of the things about making chips is that we don't charge
1: for making chips do we We Jim? don't No we don't people don't have to pay 50 cents every time they listen no, to No they don't uh, but the one
0: thing that we do ask what's that is that the metalworking nation gets the word out about making chips. That's kind of like our currency is tell your manufacturing peers about making chips. Do they rate Go us? on to iTunes and rate and review. Give us a you five star. You like getting star. rated, don't you? I actually don't. Want, we, we look at it like once a year or something like that. Are you a five like star
1: guy or a four star guy?
0: Well, I like getting five stars, okay. and I like giving. I, I'm I'm like a one star when I give reviews. I'm like one star or five stars. I'm usually not like in the middle. Do you rate so, hotels
1: after you've been in them when they send you that email?
0: No, I I actually have programmed my email to automatically archive all that kind of stuff. Any of those? Yeah, whenever spans. somebody asks for a survey and stuff you don't like do it, that. even though I would Shame love it you. if the Metalworking Nation would tell us what they like and don't like about making chips. I actually don't do it myself, but we're going to create a survey in the future because we'd like to get the Metalworking Nation's feedback about what they like and don't like so that we can do the things they do like and don't do the things they don't like.
1: Yeah. By the way, congratulations. On what? This has been five years since Making Chip has gone live. Wow. Making Chips. Yeah, you're right. C-H-I-P-S. That's amazing. Five years. I think we went live exactly five years ago today, wasn't it? No, it was. It was late December, early January. Yeah, but I think that was of
0: 2016.
1: No, it was 2015.
0: I think we started planning it out in 2015. No, No.
1: no, absolutely went live January 2015. All right. Somebody's
0: gonna have to verify these things. I can.
1: I'll show you as soon as we uh, go off the air. But congratulations. uh, We're nearly a half a million downloads right now.
0: Yeah, half a million manufacturing leaders, CEOs, presidents of manufacturing companies listening to making chips. Yeah, so it's, it's awesome.
1: It is. <gasps> Who knew? Yes. Yes. So with that, let's quote what we always quote at the end of the show because... If you're not end, making chips... You're not making money. Bam.
2: Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips.